This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comics show here on Trek FM. I am one of the hosts, just one. And with me, as he is always, is Dan Gunther. Dan, how are you doing, man? Hey, Matthew. Doing well, as usual. Uh, Excited again to be here for what I think is probably going to be another pretty fun episode of Literary Treks. So good to see you tonight. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is going to be fun. Um, you know, we're going to be talking about the uh, second part of uh, the Gold Key Comics, uh, Volume 2, and uh, i got to say, they are a couple, jeez, they're a whopper of, of, of issues, so uh, I'm, I'm excited to dive into that. We, we did want to cover, we've got some news that came out from the Visionary Treks podcast. They were talking to more Greg Clark about some things that are going to be coming up, and one of them was talking about the Prey trilogy and that it really is going to be what we were kind of thinking. It's, it's going to be an epic crossover with Titan, Deep Space Nine, TNG, and a surprise from the man himself, somehow, Captain Kirk. <laughs> yeah, really interested about that. So, you know, uh, how is Kirk going to be in this story? Interested to find that out. Kind of cool, really, maybe the kind of the next big Destiny trilogy or something like along those lines. So, Pretty excited about that. Another uh, little brief uh, thing that was brought up was uh, next year we're getting a TOS book by Christopher L. Bennett, which we know called The Face of the Unknown. Uh, And we found out there that that one's actually going to be a sequel to the original series episode, The Corbomite Maneuver, uh, which makes sense. You know, The Face of the Unknown was a phrase from that episode. So, you know, kind of cool. We're getting a sequel to that. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, You know, I'm hoping we'll see... Baylock again mm-hmm. so that would be great and uh, uh and the navigator too who went over to join him there yes um, find out what actually happened to that guy Bailey, you that know, was Kirk, his name. yeah people just like to just kirk just likes to put people places and never check on them so <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> well we also got some news uh that's pretty cool uh we uh, we knew that uh kirsten Beyer had an, another book coming out architects of infinity but uh, she gave away the other title, which is To Lose the Earth, which, I wow, goodness, that that seems pretty epic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and both books are apparently coming in 2017, so woohoo! Yeah, definitely, that title, I'm, I'm really curious about that one. 
Uh, yeah, it sounds pretty bad to lose the Earth. That I, it's not something you usually just misplace. Yeah, you know, you know, Starfleet just kind of looks out the window of space dock and goes, "Now, now, wasn't there a planet there before?" Oh God, weren't we orbiting something? <laughs> That's weird. Where did we put that? That's not good. <laughs> well, the other big news uh, that came out, which is actually a bit of a surprise, uh, apparently two of the books coming out in 2017 are from author David Mack. Now, uh, that's interesting because we had heard that he was going to be kind of taking a bit of a break from Trek in the next little while to focus on his original novels, the World War II fantasy trilogy uh, that he's busily writing and uh, should be coming out pretty soon here. Um, Yeah, so it looks like we're getting some unexpected Trek from David Mack. So that's pretty exciting. One of those has to be a follow-up to his Section 31 book, so please, God, oh, yes. Oh, I really, really hope so. Yeah. Please. I know there's a please. lot of people looking forward to that one. <laughs> and I am one of them, so I really want to know what happened to Bashir. I really hope that it would be great, actually, if both of them were, you know, Section 31 books to really wrap up this storyline and mm-hmm. so we can have Bashir back in the regular flow of the Deep Space Nine 24th century. So this... Fantastic news. I couldn't have been more excited about this. Um, but, uh, Dan, before uh, we hit the the fantastic episode that we actually have coming up when we talk about the Gold Key comics, <laughs> and I'm sure we're going to laugh a lot, uh, let everybody know about where they can find us uh, all over the interwebs with Literary Treks. Well, Matthew, Literary Treks is, of course, available on iTunes. And, uh, you know, if you're downloading us from iTunes, why don't you give us a uh, quick star rating and review and hit that subscribe button. It really, really helps other Star Trek book fans find us. And, uh, you know, we can really get the word out there about this podcast for people that really enjoy uh, reading Star Trek novels and comics. Uh, But if you're not on iTunes, we've got you covered as well. Uh, You can find our podcasts on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, And of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link there as well. If you want to get into contact with us, there are many ways you can do that. On our website, we have a contact form at trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. Look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter. Our username there is at trek.fm. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. While you're on Facebook, we also have the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only group. Just type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or you can go to our website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Now, a special group we have for Literary Treks is our group on Goodreads. Uh, Just go to Goodreads, search for Literary Treks. We have bookshelves there with all of our previously covered books, as well as what we're currently reading, so you can keep up to date on what's coming up for future shows. And of course, there are always great conversations happening about all the books and comics that make up the Star Trek universe. Dan, I love these nights. And it's a little bit like Talladega Nights, (laughs) but, well, actually, it's just as funny as Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell. And it's when we talk about the Gold Key comics. And tonight is no exception because we, we have three great comics here from the volume two so if, if you're trying to find these three you'll find them they're the last three in volume two and goodness I, I mean we start off with just a humdinger 
right there. <laughs> uh, we're going to be using a lot of fun phrases because, well, there's a ton of them in, in these stories. And this one is called Specter of the Sun. And I got to say, you know, anytime that, uh, you know, you're stopped by an alien species because they had a genie in the bottle <laughs> that they released and it grabs the Enterprise. Wow, that's that's a great way to start the issue. You know you're in for a treat. Yeah, it's it's definitely quite the visual uh, we're starting out here. You know, I'm, I, I was kind of thinking, like, oh, this is so over the top. This is so silly. But then, you know, you think back to, like, original series episodes, Who Mourns for Adonis, right? You've got uh, the Greek god Apollo's hand grabbing the Enterprise in space. So... You know, I, I I guess this is kind of par for the course. You know, why not have a big giant floating space genie grab the Enterprise as it goes by? I'm just imagining that all of a sudden, if this, there was a trailer for this, JJ version-wise, it would be Christina Aguilera's genie in the bottle <laughs> playing in the background, you know? And so, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. You know, I was I was kind of thinking maybe we'd gone past the silliness of, you know, Vulcan voodoo drinks and books and stuff but uh no it's oh no it's definitely here in full force <laughs> it it is here because you know the the enterprise is caught by a genie a space genie uh which those are things in star <laughs> trek uh just like a folk and voodoo library and kirk and spock and mccoy are are magically beamed to this castle where they're confronted by a person named Chang. So, you know, we keep running into these things where their names we'll see later. Like, did the the writers for Star Trek VI know these comics and that's where this comes <laughs> from? Because he actually looks a little bit similar, too. He's bald and everything. A little bit, yeah. I could see Christopher Plummer playing this guy a little bit. <laughs> it could be pretty it's, good. Yeah, it's really funny. I I just kind of love it. So, uh, and and it turns out that that Chang wants them to retrieve the Specter of the Sun because he's trying to win a war against Zandu, uh, who has a flaming sword literally hanging over the city. <laughs> if you've ever wanted to know what the sword of Democles looks like, they they find it. It's on this planet. But it's a flaming sword, so it's even worse than you thought. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, I was actually expecting someone to say, like, oh, there's a giant sword hanging like the sword of... Oh, wait, uh, well, mm, that's not the best metaphor, I guess. That is just actually what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I loved it. Uh, that was, was awesome. And so what's so weird is, you know, he pulls... Kirk and this crew out of the sky to go on this journey to find this specter of the sun. And then he sends Marla with them, who is, is a beautiful woman. And you've got to have the beautiful woman as their guide. And who should they run into? But apparently the stone giants from <laughs> the Hobbit. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, this, the, the stone creatures at the end of Star Trek five, we finally find out, you know, why they weren't in that movie. You know, they blew the budget on getting them into this comic story here. Um, you know, so we get this actually pretty cool action sequence of them defeating these giants by using their strength against, uh, against themselves kind of thing. And it's actually, it's one thing I will say about these is I really started to appreciate the artwork uh, a lot more than I have in the past because I was kind of focusing on just the silliness of the stories 
but there's some really imaginative and well-drawn stuff going on here. Uh, this is pretty cool. I do think that that is one of the things that is really fun. The art is good, and mm. and it's it, it has so much going for it. So colorful, and like you said, it has a lot of imagination behind it, and it it feels like fun. I mean, it it really does, and it fits. Uh, it fits it so well. <laughs> I love that they are able to confuse the giants by running around in a pattern that has the giants actually attack each other yeah. <laughs> and kill each other. That's awesome. <laughs> and it's it's you know it's well illustrated here, like exactly kind of how they do that and stuff. Uh, and it's yeah, it's really impressive. It's kind of one thing that you know, they couldn't really do on the television series and they're really making good use of the medium here and uh, showing some really interesting stuff that we couldn't have gotten on the original series as silly as it sometimes is for sure. But, you know, no, it is, it is really silly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they confuse the giants. They're able to do that, which is great. And then they kind of stop for the evening and, Unbeknownst to them, they're they're being watched and they're attacked by another group. And this group is led by a man named Brand. And he says he needs Kirk's help. Like everybody needs Kirk's help. <laughs> <laughs> man, you know, Kirk's advanced team's really done a really good job of getting the word out there about just how awesome this guy is, because you know, he's in such high demand from everyone. Well, I mean it, it it must be that, that that ad got out about just how helpful Kirk is. You know, it's playing on all the intergalactic televisions, you know. Alongside and, ads for Priceline.com. Right. That <laughs> and, you know, for the best attorney, you know. Oh, yeah. And so this one is, you know, if you need help, call Kirk 555-5555, which probably would be the, you know. Alien computer actual... controlling your society? Yeah. Are you fighting a war? <laughs> With computers. Call Kirk. You, Kirk can help. <laughs> do, do you need a, a giant robot to talk itself to death? <laughs> I'm your man. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I would yeah. love to see that ad, actually. Someone's got to do that. Yeah. We, we really need to, ha to happen. Um, so, Brand tells them, look, um, we landed on this planet because we came from the year 1997 where the eugenics wars had been going on and we escaped earth and we landed on this planet and well i mean everything was going okay until chang got bored <laughs> why do people all why do the bad guys always just getting bored what is going on in star trek the the gold key comics like people get bored and then they become bad <laughs> yeah um you know antagonist motivation is just wow all over the map here and it's just you know for the silliest reasons we get these despotic warlords i guess that was kind of what happened in the previous issues too there was always somebody who took over their planet you know for some inane reason and yeah we get that again here so well i mean i gotta tell you you know when i, I Maybe they're really playing off that whole idea, idol's hands or the devil's playground, mm -hmm. you know? So this guy gets bored and, you know, he, he decides to wander off uh, in a direction. Nobody knows where he goes. But when he comes back, he has these powers. 
and he's able to control these people. And um, the only way that they'll be able to overthrow him, they think, is for them to take the specter of the sun and overthrow Chang. So mm-hmm. now you have two competing people looking for this specter of the sun trying to take out each other and with Kirk and the crew in the middle. Yeah. Well, and I love, you know, it's stuck in the middle with you. (laughs) (laughs) And they never really explain how this scepter is supposed to work. I mean, you know, they're so they're it's guarded by this robot who's not a very good guard because he only comes out once they've already got the scepter and Kirk tries to use it and he's like, well, this doesn't work. It's not working. And Spock just says, I'd feared that I, I was worried that it wouldn't work. Well, what do you mean you were worried it wouldn't? How is this supposed to work in the first? You, you haven't explained anything, Spock. Come on. He was just worried that it might not work <laughs> because he knew that it probably wouldn't work because he's Spock. Yeah. And so what I love about this is he has them distract the killer robot <laughs> so he can climb on the killer robot and disable it. Like, it's awesome. Oh, it's so I was I, I was waiting for him to give a killer robot a Vulcan death pinch. I, I totally thought that was kind of something they were going for. But yeah, not not quite. But yeah. And then this shot of him, I, I just I don't know why I laughed so hard at kind of his pose as he's jumping off the robot as it's uh, being electrocuted. I don't know what it is. Just the idea of this tiny Spock leaping off of it here is just hilarious i love the way this looks well the fact that he lands on his feet like (laughs) like spock is a vulcan not a cat that doesn't i mean he can't jump off such high heights and be okay i feel like deadpool's just there it's like oh superhero landing he's gonna do a superhero landing yeah exactly (laughs) exactly oh my gosh it's awesome well they they end up taking the uh the spectrum they end up taking the Spectre of the Sun. They confront Chang, who turns out to be nothing more, apparently, than an illusionist. Mm-hmm. So really, all of these... This is where it really doesn't make sense. Like, that all of these illusions you can actually touch and do things with, because, like, he had people carrying him in, and it just... This is where it falls apart, and he was really just trying to get a hold of the Enterprise so he could escape. Because, again, remember, he's bored. <laughs> So yeah, he's set up this whole thing just to kind of distract them and keep them busy, I guess, while he tries to get the Enterprise. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Uh, and uh, there's a big fight, Chang and Kirk. Uh, of course, they have to have their fight. Oh, yeah. And then Chang is struck by lightning. <laughs> like, where did that come from? Yeah, this story, it's like, man, you get to, you find out what his real motivation is and you realize the entire, like, drama of the past however many pages has had no meaning whatsoever. And then, yeah, the bad guy is killed because literally deus ex machina, like, lightning strikes him. Oh, well, he's dead, so, okay, (laughs) we'll blow up his castle and save the Enterprise and we're good, I guess. Yeah, and and that was the weird thing, too, is that they have to blow up his castle (laughs) so that they can destroy whatever it is that's... I mean, the the machine that's holding the Enterprise in place, and then they're able to get away. And it's just... It really is a... It's an interesting issue because it brings in this history of the eugenics wars, Mm -hmm. 
and that being used is really interesting but the the rest of the framework of the story is just so strange and i mean really why is every bad guy just bored and so they become <laughs> a bad guy it's just so weird yeah it, it's it's variations on a theme like i i feel like we're kind of reading the same story over and over again with just some peripherals changed a little bit here and uh yeah this one you know as silly as some of the other stories were this one more than any other just is not a good story like it just does not hold together it by the end of it i'm wondering like what did i read and and why did i have to follow them going through all that when ultimately it really meant nothing so you know i you know sorry to be so harsh on this story but it's just not well written <laughs> it's not and it's frustrating um, because, like I said, the the story element that you're getting here is actually really interesting with mm. the eugenics wars, and that's yeah. going to play out in Star Trek. But it's it's this weird kind of throwaway thing that doesn't mean anything to the rest of the story mm -hmm. because it's not utilized very well. Yeah, like when I first saw that, I thought, "Oh, that's really cool. They're using actual Star Trek history." But you know, really, when it comes down to it, it amounts to name dropping and really doesn't play into the story very much at all. It really doesn't. Which is is strange because this is a this is a big like kind of bombshell to kind of drop on the Star Trek universe here in this story, but again, it it just it doesn't really make sense. So mm -hmm. it's it it's a fun laughable issue, but it really does <laughs> this one has some of the bigger problems that we've seen throughout the Gold Key comics and it's it's not quite as redeemable unfortunately as some of the ones we read last time so mm -hmm. um and that leads us into the brain shocker dun 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 <laughs> i mean i don't know if there isn't a better name but it's pretty awesome <laughs> the brain shockers um and and this one is interesting because it starts off kind of like a lot of actual TOS episodes do, where they're on the bridge and McCoy is complaining to Kirk that you're not going on vacation enough and the bridge crew needs a break. And it's very, very much TOS. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, it feels like the beginning of a lot of TOS episodes. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, familiar stuff here. Uh, you know, you've got the yeoman on the bridge delivering a report. And yeah, it really feels like the beginning, like you said, of of kind of one of those day in the life of, of the Enterprise kind of situations you get bookending episodes usually. Uh, yeah, and, and I think they've done a good job, which is kind of rare in these comics, to really capture that Star Trek feel uh, like you would see on, on the television screen for sure. You are exactly correct, and and that's why I this issue at least it starts out with a lot of promise because it does it has that feel of a Star Trek uh, episode, and then uh, then it takes an interesting turn. <laughs> the Enterprise, of course, is attacked because it's always being attacked. It, it doesn't matter where they go; everybody's a bad guy and attacking them. And uh, the Yeoman that was on the bridge during this conversation finds a door that says do not open so of course <laughs> she opens it and out comes the boogeyman and who is this this yeoman's what is this yeoman's name <laughs> that's right pandora exactly. pandora opened her own door <laughs> like i mean can you get more totally on the nose here with <laughs> i thought that was great um 
you know, and they're like, oh my God, Pen- Yeoman Pandora, she opened the tree. And you're like, oh God, okay, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> it it was it was ridiculously bad and awesome all at the same. Like I, I that that part I actually really liked. I thought, <laughs> okay, this is we're just gonna go with that because she let out the boogeyman. And what was really interesting here is the way that they kind of build with uh, Vulcans mm-hmm. and what we find out about Vulcans. What did you think about this revelation with Vulcans and their emotion jars? Well, I was when when I first started this, I was really worried that, you know, they were going to say, oh, this is how Vulcans shed their emotions. They they bottled them up in jars i really liked that you know you get a little bit more into it and you find out from the history no well they tried that this was the first thing they did to try and get rid of emotions and you know it didn't work so now we just suppress emotion i was like okay good because you know there's there's kind of playing fast and loose with canon and that kind of thing and then there's well no this is so totally ridiculous that's not how vulcans are kind of thing you know my my inner trek nerd was was starting to rage and then went oh okay i can breathe <laughs> they're not saying all vulcans you know bottle up their emotions like this they just try like to literally bottle up their emotions yeah, exactly and they're all bottled up inside but they're not inside they're on the shelf it's so deep man it's so deep <laughs> <laughs> just put your emotions on this shelf spock okay I got it. You know, it's like, oh man, this is awesome. This is just incredible. Um, well, so it turns out that the Enterprise was transporting these bottled emotions to a planet when they were attacked. And so Spock and Kirk and McCoy, they all go down to this planet to try and figure out why they're being attacked. They, the first group they sent down to the planet disappears. So Spock and Kirk, they leave some people in charge. They're like, you guys, you need to find these emotions uh, on and get them bottled back up. <laughs> and then So we're looking we're, for an emotion. We're, okay. <laughs> so you're saying it's an emotion and we're looking for it. And we're supposed to bottle it again. So what? How do you get an emotion in a bottle? (laughs) That sounds like it's harder to getting a ship in a bottle. Because that's tough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just I think it's hilarious. It's so awesome. Um. So they go down to the planet and they're looking for what's keeping them. The Enterprise. What it what it attacked them and. They're they're not finding it, and and then what's weird is that Spock and Bones beam down to the planet, and they tell them, "Hey, uh, we're pretty sure that the emotions escaped to the planet." So, which makes sense. I mean, you know, if you're going to go somewhere, why not try and hide out on a planet that's bigger than you know? I mean, because mm-hmm. I think there's only one door on the Enterprise that says "Do not open." <laughs> so presumably, they looked all over the Enterprise for these emotions and couldn't find them. So I mean, like, did they did they check between the sofa cushions? Cause I know I lose my emotions there all the time. <laughs> like, I, I I just it just I I think it's really amazing that we never really get from them what these are supposed to look like, what they're actually looking for. You know, we know they've entered the bodies of the Enterprise crew by this point. So you know, 
there's no indication they even know that these disembodied emotions can do that. So how are they looking for them? What are they looking for here? I don't, I'm not clear on how they've eliminated the Enterprise as a possible place they can be. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I do, 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 is there a tricorder setting for emotions? <laughs> like, I, I don't get it. Um, so Oops, I had my tricorder set for chronotons. I should have set ex- it for emotions. Exactly. Exactly. And so what's funny is that everybody starts getting affected by these emotions and Spock gets really scared and runs off. And he discovers this person on the planet called Maylock, who is an immortal, who again is bored. (laughs) So he's begun to get people from around the galaxy who pass by for his amusement because, of course... He's bored, and for some reason, I don't know why, but he's stuck in this machine that he can never leave? I don't understand. It's really weird. Yeah, (laughs) I really don't quite know what they were going for here. But yeah, again, like you say, we've got the bored villain whose entire motivation is, yeah, uh, I was bored, so, you know, I'm going to basically torture you guys. (laughs) Like, I don't get it. Well, and and so he what's what's so interesting is they he brings them all together, and the entire crew of the Enterprise that you know, they had lost um, they had lost a landing party, and so all of them basically end up in front of him so that they can start performing for his his pleasure, so they can you know he can have them fight or whatever, and Spock is able to fight off the mind control. And he sneaks in to disrupt Maylock's machine and turns the emotions that got lost, the, the, the Vulcan emotions, back on Maylock. And sadly, Maylock looks like he's going to f- forever be locked in a plastic cage of emotion. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, I, you know, this ending is really kind of weird to me. Like, is there, they, they really act like there's nothing that can be done. Like, they've just lost these emotions now and they can't put them in the shrine that they wanted to and this guy's stuck here kind of experiencing them um you know maybe he's getting what he wants but it really seems like they kind of give up really quickly at the end here like oh well they're in him now we can't really do anything Uh, i guess we better leave like you know couldn't they try and get those back and maybe just give this guy netflix or something i mean there's a lot of really good shows on there (laughs) I don't, I, I, I really kind of really question this ending here. It seems very odd to me. Yeah, no, I, I get it. it. It is really weird that they just leave this guy to suffer for the rest of his life in a plastic cage of emotion. And, you know, that really means something when you realize he's immortal too. So he's just going to be there for all eternity and, or until this planet is destroyed, basically. It's... what's funny though is that this issue is kind of more fun than the first one it's just so goofy and off the wall and yeah i actually i thought that this was kind of interesting and and the idea that vulcans used to take their emotions and put them in bottles like a genie and put them on some sort of shelf uh they don't do that anymore because they realize by taking their emotions out like that they were actually losing part of their soul Mm. And that's why they just started to teach logic. So I thought it was actually kind of a really interesting thing that um, it almost like the Katra, you know, you could take it and put it in a receptacle, you know, it, 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 
it, there's kind of some of that stuff there. It's kind of cool. Yeah, you could kind of almost replace the word soul here with Katra, and it would just it would actually really fit really well with canon. You know, by removing the emotions, you remove a, a big part of the Katra, and that didn't. You know, that's great. I love that. You know, and in Star Trek Three, they refer to the Katra as, as Spock's soul. So I think that really kind of is a really good parallel there, and I think that works out really well. No, I I completely agree with you, and I I, I think that that makes this a really interesting and worthwhile issue, just because that it kind of does start to branch out and tell us a little bit more about Vulcans and and to explore what that means to be them. So, yeah, um. The, the next issue is called The Flight of the Buccaneer. <laughs> and if you thought you would never get a pirate issue, R, matey, you was wrong. Oh, man. And they they just go for broke with this idea here. I mean, we've got, we've got pirates with tricorner hats and cutlasses and, you know, ships that look like sailing ships with warp nacelles on them. I mean... <laughs> You know, they're they're not just doing space pirates, they're doing space pirates. Like these are like eighteenth century pirates in space. It's crazy. Like I, I I didn't necessarily understand how and why they were doing this. Why do space pirates actually look like pirates from Pirates of the Caribbean? <laughs> it's it's really weird. Um well, and, it, it's I, actually kind of an interesting story though, mm-hmm. because uh, Starfleet calls Kirk and the Enterprise saying, look, our dilithium stores have been stolen. And obviously, we all know dilithium is what powers our starships. We, we need you to track down these pirates who are out of Federation jurisdiction. And so Kirk goes undercover as a pirate with Bones, Scotty, and McCoy. And so actually the storyline is not that dumb. Mm-hmm. It, it's actually pretty interesting. No, it's pretty cool. It actually... Um... Reminds me of the two-part Next Generation episode Gambit when uh, Picard and Riker were undercover on the mercenary ship, you know, kind of the space pirates. Uh, but again, yeah, with that really strong, uh, actual earthbound pirate pastiche kind of pasted over top of this. Um, it is actually a really interesting story. Um, I like the idea that there's kind of this haven for pirates on this planet, which I will say, just like Yeoman Pandora Trask in the last episode, we have the planet called Tortuga here, which is where the pirates all hang out, which of course is the famous uh, island off the coast of Haiti that was a den of piracy in, in the 1800s here. So, you know, again, just the same kind of really on-the-nose stuff, borrowing from uh, Earth mythology and history and stuff here. Well, and what's so crazy about it, too, is really, they I mean, they are wearing the pirate out. I mean, they really do. This looks like Pirates of the Caribbean, not Star Trek. <laughs> That's what's so funny. Scotty's got the gold earring, and the, they've all got the striped shirts. <laughs> what also makes this interesting, and I think actually a good storyline, is the fact that, so, to do this, because they have to basically trick these pirates they go undercover as pirates themselves they get on this crew of the person that they know has stolen it this captain nova and while they're on his ship scotty and spock are overheard talking 
um, and Kirk sees that somebody is overhearing them, and so he sells them out, quote-unquote, to keep his cred. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just a really interesting storyline because it's, it's like all those fun, uh, you know, procedural stories with cops going undercover and it, it really it the storyline without the ridiculousness of what it looks like is actually working mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty cool um i i really like this bit where kirk sells out the two of them to the the pirate crew uh and of course they're made to walk the plank so they're basically ejected into space luckily they note uh in spacesuits uh, so that their suffering can be prolonged. Um, that's what they say. But it's actually, it turns out, so that they can be uh, luckily rescued by the Enterprise a short time later. That's, you know, of course, trailing this pirate ship uh, as it, you know, as they have the captain aboard kind of thing. <laughs> I I love that they put them in these like plasticine <laughs> space suits with the fishbowl yeah. helmet. Yeah, it's like and fishbowl and saran wrap. <laughs> it is awesome they make and then they oh yeah they throw them out and it's it's fantastic i just love it so um and then of course you know the enterprise rescues them it's it's not a big deal uh and spock uh takes the enterprise then and follows them to the planet that they are headed to and they land on the planet and they meet they think this planet is uninhabited but they meet somebody who's been stranded there and at the same time, the pirates arise, pretty much, and they start digging in the place where the dilithium is supposed to be. It's not there. And they blame Kirk. And he's like, what, what did I do? I, <laughs> I've been with you the whole time. And, of course, that's when Spock leads the landing party and ambushes them. And uh, then we have a really nice sword fight between Kirk and this Captain Nova. <laughs> yeah, like a... a- very old-fashioned you know they um they do call it an electron cutlass so it's not quite just you know an 18th 19th century sword uh but you know they they have a really old-fashioned sword fight dressed you know in their pirate get-ups and that kind of thing um and i i do have to say again here artwork wise this is really well done i think this fight just looks gorgeous uh of course for this collection it's been recolored and stuff but you know, it's just absolutely beautiful. I really, really like the artwork on these pages. Um, and then, so of course, you know, the, the pirate captain gets away and Kirk throws his cutlass at him, uh, but misses, but apparently hits something critical in the ship and it goes careening to the ground and, and explodes. So that's the end of this uh, this pirate mercenary here. Yeah, you know, gotta love the lucky throw with the sword oh, by yeah. Kirk there. I mean, who knew that he was such a good throw uh, <laughs> with his sword? And then, of course, you know, they, they have this guy that they met, that Spock had met, and uh, he has actually taken the didelithium, and everybody ends up happy. So, I mean, it's... What's funny is that it is a goofy issue with a lot of strange things going on, but it actually has, I think... Of all three of these, I would say this is probably the most interesting story. I, I agree completely, yeah. Yeah. Because it actually, it feels really, it, it feels very plausible mm-hmm. um, to actually, I feel like they could have done this almost as a episode of Star Trek, 
And obviously you wouldn't have had people dressed up like pirates this ridiculously, but I think it would have worked really, really well. And so, yeah, I, I kind of like this one. So uh, kind of looking at these, Dan, and we hadn't done this yet, but uh, what do you think, um, if you just were rating these three uh, best to worst, what do you think you'd do? Oh, man, I... I I would almost have to say it kind of goes in reverse uh, order of how they're presented mm-hmm. here. The Flight of the Buccaneer really is, I think, the best story. Uh, as, as silly as it looks and as over the top as it looks, I feel like they had a lot of fun doing this story. Uh, and and it really shows. Like, they have fun with the story. It has an interesting beginning, middle, and end and actually holds together really well. And it really kind of breaks the mold of the stories we've gotten so far. So for me, that's the best one. Uh, followed by, I think, the Brain Shockers, which is, you know, even just saying these titles, I'm sorry, they're ridiculous. Um, but, you know, that's a pretty good story. It was, uh, again, kind of falling into the old uh, bored villain trope thing they've created here. But, you know, it wasn't wasn't a bad story. It had some really interesting ideas and concepts and using the Trek lore really well. And then, yeah, Scepter of the Sun, I think, was very poor. <laughs> I, I Like I said, after I was done reading that story, I kind of put it down and said, like, what did I just read? Like, what what actually happened in that story? And, you know, not much. A guy tried to capture the ship. He died from lightning, and then they got free. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually completely agree with you. I, uh I think that yeah, these go in reverse order um, for for which one is good, and and you know by the time you get to Specter of the Sun in that reverse order, you're just like, all right, uh, this is this is goofy, but uh, there's there are some interesting things here. There's some seeds of of where Gold Key can really continue to grow, and I'm so interested, honestly, to just continue in this fun series that we've been doing and looking at these volumes, and I'm hoping that Volume Three will continue to show some of that growth and. I, again, I mean, you reference the eugenics wars here. We talk about Vulcans and their emotions and, and um, have a, a kind of a, a more sophisticated story with the, the idea of pirates stealing things from the Federation. I mean, like a very early idea for the Orion Syndicate, you know, uh, obviously not buccaneers. Uh, their, their ships actually start to look like sailing. I mean, if you ever saw... Disney did Treasure Island in Space, the animated version, mm, yeah, and that's planet. what their ships look like. It's pretty ridiculous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, this is, again, one of the things I love about the Gold Key comics is it's just so much fun and so enjoyable to actually sit down and read them and see where, you know, things work and where they don't. And it's just a joy. Well, Matthew, it's always a lot of fun talking about the Gold Key comics. Uh, You know, the few episodes we've done of these, I've always really, really enjoyed kind of looking back at these late 60s, early 70s take on Star Trek in comic form. I have too, Dan. It really is interesting to just see where Star Trek came from and um, really the thing that set it apart. And these are a good indication of how Star Trek could have been, and it again, it's so much fun. It's just so much fun. 
to talk about them. And I love the fact that we get to do it. We've got our associate producers through Patreon who make that possible. We've got Ken Tripp, Brandon Shamatullah, and Bruce Gibson. All of them through Patreon make sure that Literary Treks and everything from Trek FM keeps coming to you each and every week. Um, now, we are a listener-supported network, and so... Everything that we do comes because of the generous support from our listeners. You can go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be a part of the team. It's the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. We're celebrating huge here, and we want to make sure that the content coming to you each week is just as good as it's always been, if not even better. So become part of our team at patreon.com slash trekfm. So, Dan, when you're not roaming around the Enterprise opening doors that say, do not open, where can we find you? Well, Matthew, uh, you know, those signs that say, do not open, they're just, they're so tempting. Uh, but yeah, when I'm not doing that, you can find me on my website, Treklit Reviews, that's www.treklit.com, where I review Star Trek novels. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. My handle there is Kertrats, K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash Reviews, And on Instagram, my username there is Kertrats47. And of course, you can always find me kicking around the Babel Conference on Facebook, uh, posting about all things Star Trek and commenting on all the really great stories that are being posted and talked about there. Matthew, when you're not infiltrating the pirate groups on the planet Tortuga, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, uh, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. You can also find me on The 602 Club, where we don't talk about Star Trek. We talk about all our other fandoms that we really love. It's so much fun. I hope you'll join us there every week for just a great new geeky topic and then of course i'm on a new podcast with my friend john mills called aggressive negotiations where we talk about star wars and goodness it is a blast we're over on the nerd party at the nerdparty.com and you can find us on itunes under aggressive negotiations and then of course i have my own personal website at 42 lifeinbetween.wordpress.com well thank you so much for joining us and until next time live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one. <laughs>